This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. There's an interesting new book out that chronicles the growth of the University of Pennsylvania as a campus in this West Philadelphia neighborhood over the last several decades. It's called Becoming Penn, and it's written by John Puckett and Mark Lloyd, but it is not all a peaches and cream view of the good that the university has done over the years. It's a story, in some respects, of how a city bent over backwards to provide the university with some of the land that it needed and the resources as well. John is a professor at Penn's Graduate School of Education. He joins us here in the studio. Thanks very much for coming over. I'm glad to be here, Dan. First, from the interesting fact that this book, as I said, is not 100% rah-rah about the University of Pennsylvania, but the fact that it is also a book that was published by the University of Pennsylvania as well. Were there bumps in the road along the way? Uh, No, actually, uh, the the university press... uh, and and its its board uh, embraced the book. Okay, and I I think because um, when when you tell this uh, what we call an analytic narrative, uh, warts and all, you're you're being transparent. You acknowledge the good, but you also a- acknowledge that there were some bumps along the way, and and that uh, in in some respects there was some collateral damage. The process, though, this is a university that actually started in downtown Philadelphia. A couple hundred years ago uh, by Ben Franklin, and then moved out here to West Philadelphia at at what point? Uh, In 1872, and uh, Penn acquired land from uh, the city, uh, which was the old Blockley Almshouse, where where the university hospital is uh, today, and CHOP, and uh, some, some land that's now across Spruce Street, which became the campus, what we call the historic core. So that, that, uh, that, it started with a few buildings and then, and then that had a, a sort of what we call a small expansion. And what's happened uh, since World War II has been the great expansion. Yeah, and obviously th- that's a, a big focus uh, of the book in yeah. terms of uh, taking what was you know, a fairly good-sized campus at that point, but really expanding it and, and grabbing up parcels of land and, in some respects, changing the dynamics of this section of West Philadelphia. Oh, oh indeed. Um, yeah, you, what, what you had uh, at the end of World War II uh, and, and the beginning of the Cold War uh, was a regional university. Uh, and what happens over this 50-year period uh, between from the Cold War through uh, through the Cold War and and into the millennium is uh, uh, you've got this great expansion that's moving Penn from simply being a a, a regional university and becoming a world class research institution uh, and it it to to it was done uh, very uh, methodically intentionally. Um, and with recognition that it was going to take a long time for this to happen. 
as you mentioned in the book, though, there were there were sections uh, of the the property that was owned by the University of Pennsylvania that left were left undeveloped for several decades. Uh, in fact, some of the construction just finished up and yeah. still going on right now. Yeah, yeah. The um, the planners uh, woefully underestimated the time span. Yeah. Uh, when when they started it, it the gentleman's agreement, and that's in effect what it was. It was gentlemen. Um, was that we Penn would start putting have buildings up within six years, mm-hmm. uh, and when you you look along. Uh, Walnut Street, uh, particularly in in the uh, 36, uh, 3700 block, yeah, uh, that didn't happen. Yeah, and uh, it is actually the thirty six hundred block, which became an art a redevelopment authority parking lot for twenty some years, and and there there was absolutely no activity on that side of the campus, which is the north side. What I didn't realize, though, and look, and the, the, some of the pictures that are in the book are, are, are great in terms of giving that historical perspective, uh, you know, the, to look back, you know, 40, 50, 60 years of what was right out behind us in Locust Walk and going down towards where our offices are at Steinberg Dietrich Hall. Yeah. I mean, this was a community. There were businesses, there were shops, uh, stores, streets, yeah, cars, yeah, everything. Yeah. And it just was totally taken off it, the books. It, it, it was, but you have to remember that Penn owned the land. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so the buildings uh, were, were rental buildings, and uh, the uh, uh, or at least were, were standing on Penn property. Uh, yeah. right, right behind you, as I look out toward the Wharton School, uh, the Steinberg Aristy. Conference Center, yep. I, I I would have seen the Victoria Apartments, yeah, and and laundry, in in the photograph, and the street here was not uh, uh, Woodland was not Locust Walk, it was Locust uh, Street, yeah. and and it had uh, two way traffic. One of the other interesting things is, is the fact that in some respects this is a, a kind of a microcosm of what has happened at other. Exactly. Urban universities, Temple being one here in Philadelphia, Columbia up in New York City, probably a wealth of universities in terms of the school working with the city to to be able to buy the parcels of land they need and develop them out over the course of 10, 20, 30, whatever time time period you're talking about. Yeah. Um, the uh, at the Northeast Corridor in particular, uh, the University of Chicago as well. Um, yeah that uh, where you had cities experiencing manufacturing decline Mm -hmm. and an outflow of uh, dollars and people to suburbs uh, and seeking uh, lower rise uh, facilities and uh, there were there were lots of of pressures there uh, and better deals Uh, cities recognized that they they had to depend on their higher eds and meds and and that people were were looking toward uh, at that probably in the 1950s and certainly by the 1960s, we're looking yeah. toward what we today call the information service uh, uh, economy. And they needed uh, strong uh, higher eds to do that. Mm-hmm. And Penn, Penn was well positioned. Penn actually needed to be prodded by the city to get moving on the West Bank of the Schuylkill. What was the reaction of uh, of the people that were living in the community as this was all kind okay. of happening? Okay, so, so there are... You have to distinguish. There are two zones of development here. Okay. One is the what we call the core campus. Yep. 
And that core campus expansion was facilitated by uh, the City Planning Commission and the Redevelopment Authority. The area was mapped out and called the University uh, Area, uh, or the University Redevelopment Area. Mm-hmm. And that, that uh, mapping was done by 1950. And the Redevelopment Authority, its role is to come in then and actually present plans for redevelopment. Mm-hmm. And all this goes through a, a clearing process with the city and their hearings and so forth, city and, and city council zoning, every, all, all sorts of stuff. But anyway, to make a long story short, Penn had a legitimate writ to expand its its core campus. Yeah. And it used a number of agencies and, most importantly, Redevelopment Authority with federal funding. Now, that where Penn got into trouble was the area where it did not have a legal writ. Okay. And that's north of Chestnut Street and, okay. and an area that, uh, that we call it the Market Street Corridor. Penn wanted a, quote, compatible neighborhood sure. in that area. And um, it, it to create this sphere of influence – it, it actually created a shadow expansion, and it did this through the agency of the mm. West Philadelphia Corporation, which was a, a surrogate or proxy corporation that was created largely by Penn, and it had some institutional partners, uh, notably Drexel yeah. and, and, and the, uh, the Presbyterian Hospital. And it, um, but Penn dominated it. Penn, Penn, Penn absolutely controlled it, and it, it was tweaked to do Penn's bidding. Mm-hmm. And the University City Science Center came out of the uh, – what was a product of the West Philadelphia Corporation. And that's where Penn got into trouble because that re- that redevelopment required the, the displacement of a largely – uh, African-American neighborhood. But you also talk about how uh, how the university has really, in the last, what, 20 years or so, uh, really focused on making this not just a Penn campus, but making this you know, all part of, of West Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. And, and what happened in uh, – that started in the uh, 1980s with Sheldon Hackney when he was president. Yeah. And uh, Hackney uh, – created by the end of his presidency to create what today is the Nutter Center for Community Partnerships. And that's been uh, one of the most extensive uh, large-scale university outreach programs in the country. And uh, it's also a, a, a signature um, uh, development on the Penn campus, which has been the creation of some 200 uh what we call academically based community service courses across 26 departments yeah. focused on issues in West Philadelphia, primarily the schools. And uh, so it's been a big civic outreach. Uh, it's it, We call it a democratic uh, civic engagement movement. It's yeah. been led here by Ira Harkavy uh, at the Netter Center. And it's bought, uh, it, it hasn't completely overridden or offset uh, uh, some of some of the bitterness and frustration that stemmed from urban renewal in the area that was north of Chestnut called the called the Black Bottom. Right. Uh, the, but yeah, there's been an enormous uh, effort made. The other interesting thing is that if you go back, you know, into the 1920s, uh, the Penn campus, you know, obviously had a lot of the the campus buildings. But when you think back in the day, maybe the most prolific building on the campus was Franklin Field. Which it was the home of the football team, and you know here's a seventy thousand seat college football facility, in amongst all these old manufacturing buildings, yeah. 
which yeah. as time yeah. went on, manufacturing kind of went away, and you were left with a lot of property that had nothing to, nothing going on with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that when we talk about uh, campus development, we talk about west of uh, uh, the, the the historic core with College Hall and the Van Pelt Library Yard and so forth in Houston yeah. Hall. Uh, east uh, was Blockley. Uh, indigent uh, uh, poorhouse, it was called, uh, but it was called the almshouse. Yeah. And uh, Franklin Field was uh, a potter's field where um, unclaimed bodies were buried. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and, and uh, that they, they uh, I, I, I don't know all the details of that, but, but it, that <laughs> appears early on in, in, in the reading of, of the university's history. And uh, so, so it was open land. Uh, it developed around Franklin Field, of course, though, you had uh, neighborhoods developing. Sure. Yeah, that uh, were not Penn property. In terms of the development of the university, though, was it, it post-World War II was really the, the, the greatest time for expansion oh, yeah. for the university? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 there's, an, there's a national boom. Uh, it comes out of World War II where you had so many – uh, professors involved in uh, defense activities, uh, mm-hmm. and and some of those people were, uh, and it, it also included medicine and penicillin and so forth, yeah. and and how how that got distributed and so forth. So Penn, Penn had a lot of people involved that way. It happened with other universities. The federal government said, "Hey, we've got this huge resource of talent now. Let's get money into these places and yeah. and, and 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 let her rip." And what you had was a fierce competition for federal dollars, and Penn was right in the middle of that. It was well poised to get that money because it had a great track record from World War II. Yeah. And uh, you're going you're to have this sort of dogfight among the institutions to become the best and, and, and brightest and most eminent. And a lot of that, the, the research time was, was under Gaylord Harnwell, correct? Yeah, yeah Gaylord Harnwell, I, I, I think what the, the record shows that he was one of the major, the major uh, university presidents of, of the entire 20th century. Right. Uh, and and uh, his, his role, I don't think, has been fully recognized yet. Uh, why so? Why do you think it hasn't? Harvard, um, um, you, 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 nobody's written about it. Yeah, I, I think maybe I, I, I think and other, others, others beat Penn to the punch uh, on, on the publicity. So th- this is the first book that's been written since 1940 that that looks at the university as as, uh, as, as a social. It look does an institutional and social history of the university. I, I'd be remiss if I d- didn't mention about uh, it, where we sit right here at the Wharton School it, it, in terms of the development of the university and having the Wharton School. As part of of, uh, of the university community, yeah, yeah, the Wharton the Wharton School probably benefited more than any any other school, simply because of its size. Yeah. But but uh, uh, it started in in Logan Hall, which was uh, one of the second building on in in the campus core, eighteen seventy four. Uh, the Wharton School was created in eighteen eighty eighty one, and it moved into Logan Hall. Yeah, and and it was there until 1952 when it moved into Steinberg, Dietrich. Yep, and and then uh, and it, the 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 big boom uh, is going to come when it it starts to expand under Harnwell and moves over to Vance Hall, and then then with Hackney you get Steinberg Aristy, and with uh, Roden uh, you you get this 
R2D2 building. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that the, we're the, sitting the, in right, the, right the, now. Yeah, the, the, the tower, and it's been called uh, the cathedral or, or the <laughs> temple of Mammon, and this, that, and the other. <laughs> That's interesting. You mentioned yeah. R2D2. I'd never thought about that until you think yeah, about well, actually, the I, dome on I, the building. I think, I think the developer actually got, got into the spirit of the thing because when you <laughs> looked at the curtain they put over the building, it did look like R2D2. Yeah. But going back in the day, in terms of, uh, of the development of the university, as you mentioned before, it was a fairly regional university for yeah. a long time. Yeah, it didn't have it didn't have a, a regional market in terms of students, and and uh, a lot, if not most, of these kids were commuters. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and people say sleepy, sleepy community university. I don't think it was sleepy at all because it, 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 the city was running right through Penn at that yeah. point with so, trolley lines. So then, what was the? Where was the time where it started to see the boom and and really have the expansion outside of the borders of the city of Philadelphia? Uh, the 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 boom and the expansion outside the city. I'm not sure I understand. Well, what you're just saying. like I'll, I mean, you're, you're talking about it being a, you know a regional university. Oh, oh I, I see and, what you're saying. Sure, when it, sure. When it really well, expanded to, yeah, to more students yeah. well, outside well, of well, Philadelphia. Well, yeah, yeah, they the the planners and and this was Hornwell's leadership team. They and and uh, also planners with the West Philadelphia Corporation who had their hooks in pen. Yeah. That that they they recognized they needed uh, undergraduate. Students in in order to have a viable graduate uh, program, and they they in other words they needed to to do all all of the things that a major university would do, and to yeah. do that they they so when they put up student housing on campus, particularly west of Thirty Eighth Street, where you have these high rises, uh, and 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 that boom, then they developed uh, 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 a house for women, a, a dormitory, a residence yep. hall, it was called, um, and people started coming. And and it got more and more competitive. Yeah, uh, and it became Penn <laughs> as a brand name. Yeah, exactly, not to be confused with Penn State. <laughs> uh, and, and, although, and, and, although I still think they haven't solved the problem with uh, Penn, Penn State. Exactly. Yeah, but but it is interesting that with with all of the different pieces to this and the urban renewal and and, yeah. and all that, you know, without those programs, yeah. the university may look a little bit different today. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it it's 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 the question of a public good, and and I haven't I haven't uh, fully resolved uh, uh, how much public good versus how much uh, uh, it, 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 what the costs were. Right. Uh, I I my sense is is it's a far far greater public good. Yeah. Uh, this this would not have happened without federal funding, without the Urban Renewal Authority. I had to mention one other player in this was the General State Authority. Okay, which was created in 1956 and virtually gave Penn free buildings. Yeah. Now, now they also gave them cheap architects. The, the, these buildings, these modernist uh, um, low-rise buildings, you see, and even the one behind us now we're looking at is yep. uh, uh, the McNeil Building. All these were built with Redevelopment Authority funds, and they were built with cheap architects. They weren't built by Louis Kahn. And, and I, I was going to say, what was the role of not only the the, the state authority, but the city of Philadelphia as well, because you're talking about, you know, a, a very important time in, in Philadelphia's yeah. history in terms of the people that were leading this city. Yeah. yeah. Frank Rizzo being one of them. Yeah. That, yeah. that you know, it's that, that's a transformative time. Yeah. Well, you go back, you go back a little bit into into the late 40s and and, and early 50s. You say, well, who was who was um, uh, chairman of the city planning commission? Yeah. 
who was uh, who was uh, the, the the president of the uh, the executive committee of the Pennsylvania Transportation Authority. Same person, yeah, Francis Hopkinson Jr. Uh, so therein de- lies the connection. De- yeah. Penn Lifetime trustee, devoted Penn alum, graduated and swam here. Uh, as a student athlete, and graduated in 1907, yeah. and here he is, sort of like, okay, we got to put trolleys underground, That's, right? So, yeah. so we got to get the approval of the planning commission. We got to get the <laughs> Pennsylvania uh, Transportation Authority. So, in effect, Hopkins has a conversation with Hopkins, and the deal gets cut. <laughs> That's the interesting thing. And it's an interlocking directory. Is that they were able to, the, the university was able to get the Transportation Authority to take the trolleys from up uh, above ground and put them underground to service, you know, more space, I guess. Well, yeah, and, and then and then the, the city would say, well, th- this is really about protecting the pedestrian at these, yeah. at these intersections yeah. and so forth. Now, that's really interesting because there was a large flow of pedestrians, particularly through the center of the Penn campus. We're talking at stoplights. Yeah. yeah, we are talking. Uh, we are talking with uh, John Puckett, who is uh, co-author of the book "Becoming Penn: Taking a Look at the History of the University of Pennsylvania." Eight four four Wharton is the number if you'd like to jump in and ask a question. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number to give us a call. Uh, with the fact that Mr. Franklin obviously had a a a, a design in mind for the university. Uh, with all that's happened with the university, I would think that he has to. Be, he would, if he were here today, he would have to be. All that has happened yeah. had to be extremely thrilled uh, of all of the innovation and the uh, research and and everything that has gone into the university over the last fifty to sixty years. Well, yeah, I I, I think I think you're right, and particularly the service uh, citizenship component with the, with the outreach program, because Franklin. Franklin, uh, his famous statement, adjuration, and admonition was that the purpose of of a university should should be is should be uh, to cultivating young people and an ability uh, uh, joined with an inclination to serve. Yeah, and so so that was certainly pleased. I also think some of the pragmatism. That that we imply, and that's one reason we called the book uh, a pragmatic university. It was Franklin's university. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Kuklux, a historian here, I think he's the one who commented that when they changed the name of uh, Logan Hall uh, a number of years ago to Claudia Cohen Hall, yeah, uh, to honor a, you know a New York uh, uh, Post gossip columnist yeah. who happened to be a wife wife of a uh, one of Ronald Perlman's wives uh, <laughs> that. Uh, that they changed the name and obliterated the memory of a uh, of a uh, one of the Penn family colonial secretaries who was a Franklin associate. Yeah, yeah, because he wasn't around and <laughs> to complain and and Franklin and Cookley said Franklin would have approved. He said, you know, that's just good business. <laughs> what uh, with what has gone on with the university over the the last several decades. And where we are now today, as we mentioned, with this kind of happening in other cities over the years as well, can this type of development happen in other cities even today? I, oh, mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. being able to grab all of the land that, that, that you need and, <laughs> and be able to put it into play. Yeah, Columbia's doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah they've got a 17-acre tract up at uh, – uh, in, in, in what's called Manhattanville, it's just it's north of the campus, and they are they're putting, I I I, I my memory on some of this fades when I haven't looked at it recently, but yeah. they they were putting professional schools, 
uh, and, and, and other services in, into those blocks, and uh, those were redevelopment blocks. They were urban renewal. It's interesting because Columbia is one of those schools that is truly spread out amongst the city because uh, for those people that ever have gone up there, if they want to go watch a, a Columbia sporting event, yeah. uh, especially football, you have to drive yeah. about fifty blocks north yeah, of campus. Yeah, yeah, it's insane to get to. You know, the, the the athletes have to take buses back and forth to go to practice. Yeah, yeah up there I, as well. Yeah, I can only imagine what that's that's like in the late fall. This uh, on those rivers. This this is this is a, it's a great pleasure to have you in the studio, and thank you very you much know, for I'm, coming. I'm in. glad to be here. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.